You know, churches sometimes have issues. Uh, if you've been around church long enough, you know that sometimes they have to deal with issues. Did you hear about the little town that had the issue? All the churches had an issue with squirrels. Presbyterian Church called a meeting to decide what to do about their squirrel infestation. After much prayer and consideration, they concluded that squirrels were predestined to be there. And who were they to say God was wrong? So they didn't do anything about their squirrels. Baptist Church, they had a problem with squirrels. Seems the squirrels in their church had an interest in the baptistry, so they put a slide in the baptistry hoping the squirrels would go down in there and drown and they would get rid of them. But squirrels instinctively know how to swim. And so the second week, there were more squirrels that came. Lutheran Church, they decided that they were not in position to harm God's creatures, so they humanely trapped the squirrels. They took them over to the Baptist Church because they heard they had a slide for squirrels over there. The Episcopalian Church had a unique way of dealing with squirrels. They put little pots of whiskey out, hoping that the squirrels would get drunk and die from alcohol poisoning. But what they discovered, well, do you know how much damage a drunk squirrel can do to a church? The Christian church came up with a plan. They got all the squirrels together and baptized them, and now they only see them twice a year, Christmas and Easter. And well, the, even the Jewish synagogue had a problem with squirrels. They caught the first one, and they circumcised his, and, and they haven't seen any squirrels since. So you know, squirrels can be a problem. In fact, Ray Stevens wrote a song about this. John, you may be familiar with the Mississippi Squirrel Revival. And Ray talks about a young boy who brought a squirrel to church in a shoebox to show to his buddy Hugh. Squirrel got loose, and he ran up Harm Newman's overalls, and uh, the song says he leaped to his feet and said something. I've, something's got a hold on me. And Harv hit the aisles of dancing and screaming. Some thought he had religion. Others thought he had a demon. And Harv thought he had a weed eater loose in his fruit of the looms. Well, he hit his knees to plead and beg, and the squirrel ran out of his breeches leg, and he ran to the other side of the room, and he got Sister Bertha better than you. She was watching all the commotion with glee, but you should have seen the look in her eyes as the squirrel jumped her garters and crossed her thighs. She jumped to her feet, and Lord, have mercy on me. And the squirrel made laps inside of her dress, and she began to cry and confess. Seven deacons and the pastor got saved. $25,000 was raised, and 50 volunteered for missions in the Congo that day. The chorus goes like this. The day the squirrel went berserk in the first self-righteous church in the sleepy little town of Pascagoula. It was a fight for survival that broke out in revival. They were jumping pews and shouting, Hallelujah. I don't know, I thought about turning a squirrel loose in here today. You know, we did have a squirrel problem a few years ago. Ask Bob Parker and Bobby Moser about that. We had squirrels in the attic up above my... Uh, office and they were running free you could hear them running up there and 
We had to call in an exterminator. I don't know what he did with the squirrels, but he finally trapped them all and fixed all the ways they were getting in. $1,800 later, we don't have squirrels in our church anymore. But churches have issues. Sometimes churches have issues. And you know what's sad is it's not always squirrels. In fact, many times when churches have issue, and most of the time, it has to do with people. The early church was not immune to that. We've been studying the church in the book of Acts and how it began. And the early church had issues, and many of the issues were people issues. And that's what we're going to look at today. You see, the, the church had growing pains. As it began to grow, things happened. And so we continue our series in the book of Acts today. Uh, we've looked at how the church started, verses chapters 1 and 2. Last week at the opposition to the church in chapters 3 and 4. Today we'll look into Acts chapter 5, 6, and 7. I hope you've been keeping up with the readings on your reading plan. The question I raise today is how did the early church deal with issues as it grew? You know, sometimes I'm sure that early church wished that all they had to deal with was squirrels. But they had to deal with some pretty major problems. And you know, if it makes it into the Bible, it's usually a pretty serious issue. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5 today. In fact, we're going to start in Acts chapter 4 uh, with, at the end there and read a little story that we didn't cover last week. But you know, of course, Acts is written by Luke. He was a doctor, physician. He was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He wrote the Gospel of Luke also. Uh, we don't know how long at this point the church had been in existence when we get to chapter 5, but for some time it was fairly well established. And the people, uh, the church was thriving and the people were supporting the ministry. Uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace so powerfully at work in them all that there were no meaty persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, this is not an issue, but it leads into one of the first issues that they had to deal with in the church. And I believe that issue is that of pride and greed of church members. First issue, pride and greed of church members. Now, not Barnabas. Barnabas was a good guy. His name means son of encouragement. Barnabas was, was uh, generous. He was caring. He, too, was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. He may even be the one that wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people believe that he was. But he was generous. He sold this piece of property he had. Uh, he gave it to the apostles to use 
there in the early church. And perhaps the word spread and some people said, I want to be like Barnabas. Everybody's going on about how good Barnabas is. I'm going to sell a piece of property and I'm going to give all the money to the church too. And we get into chapter 5 and we learn about a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And so they too had property. They decided to sell their property, perhaps imitating Barnabas, wanting to be filled with pride when they were recognized for giving all the money to the church, but there's one issue. They told a little lie. They didn't really give all the money to the church. Apparently, it doesn't say that specifically, but it seems that's what the issue is because Peter confronts Ananias and he says to Ananias, Ananias, why did you lie? Big trouble. Peter reminded him he lied also to God. Acts chapter 5, verse 5. Then Ananias heard this. He fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. We don't know if Ananias just had a heart attack because he was caught and it scared him so bad or whether God intervened. His wife Sapphira came home. She too lied about how much money they gave. You know, God warns against pride and greed. In Scripture, there are many, but Proverbs 15, 27, greed, greed brings ruin to the household. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It's sad that Ananias and Sapphira felt that they had to maybe follow the pattern of Barnabas and say that they had given all the money from this sale when they lied. They didn't. Just so they could feel good about themselves, take pride. And they were so greedy that they wanted to keep some of the money back. You know, sometimes when we face issues in the church, and they did, and Peter confronted it, I want you to notice something as we go throughout this message today that Peter confronted with truth, and he trusted God to work through that. And God did work in that. Perhaps... God took care of the issue. Verse 11 says, Fear came over the whole church as news of this spread. Now it turns out this was a healthy fear. It led to more people believing and people believing more strongly. People that joined their number now, boy, they didn't join because, you know, they wanted to be proud or they were greedy. They were serious about why they joined the church. In fact, verse 14 tells us more and more men and women believed and were added to their number. So the church was growing, but they had to deal with an issue of pride and greed. 
And look at what that growth led to, chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Hmm. Second issue, jealousy of other religious leaders. You know, in the Jewish tradition, there were various sects, uh, parties, if you will, within the, the, uh, the Jewish nation. Sex, S-E-C-T-S. I don't want you to think I'm saying sex, S-E-X, sex. There were Pharisees. The Pharisees were a peculiar group. They had a peculiar garb that they wore, sort of set them apart from everybody else. They were actually really tried to be very holy men and practice the law of Moses plus other rules and traditions and laws that they had made up. They wanted to appear as, as role models and appear more holy than other people. And it was a privilege to be counted as a Pharisee. The Pharisees also believed in the afterlife. They believed that the soul was eternal and when a person died, his soul went to be with God and they believed that one day there would be a resurrection of the body at the end times, a bodily resurrection. And, and they believed in spirits and the afterlife and that the spirit could help a person uh, the Spirit of God, and they believed in goodness and, and doing good, and that a man would be judged eventually by God based on his goodness. There were the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were a little different. They, too, believed in the law of Moses, but they were, they just took the law of Moses for what it said. They didn't have a bunch of extra traditions or rules that they added to it. They they did have some traditions that they held to that they believed men ought to practice, common sense stuff. They were more into uh, to wealth and finance. One thing that set them apart from the Sadducees is the fact that they did not believe in the afterlife or the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Some of them didn't. But these two were the main parties of the Jewish people. There were also Essenes and Herodians and, and, uh, and some others. Christians would have been counted and Zealots and these various groups. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they made up the Sanhedrin. They were the ruling council of the Jewish people. Seventy-one members uh, made up the Sanhedrin. They were chosen from Sadducees and Pharisees. And, and they were sort of the, the court. Uh, they were allowed to have sort of a, a police force that, that policed things among the Jewish nation. Uh, Rome allowed them to take care of their self. They could arrest people, put people in jail. They could not practice capital punishment. That's why when Jesus was arrested, they had to take him before a pilot for him to be put to death because the Sanhedrin did not have that Power. But these leaders, especially the Sadducee group of these leaders, which one of which was the high priest, they were against the Christians. And this high priest, now the Jews recognized Annas as their high priest, 
But Rome didn't care for Annas, and so they had made his son-in-law Caiaphas high priest, and they had the authority to do that. But they all got together, and they conspired. They were jealous. You know, the, the church was, was growing. It was, it was doing ministry, and good things were happening, and they were jealous of the apostles and all the power they had and all the people coming to them and uh, the success that they were having. So he had them arrested. We put them in jail. And the text goes on to tell us that during the night, an angel of the Lord came and let the apostles go and told them, you go and you go to the temple and you preach in the morning the good news of this new life that people can have in Jesus Christ. And they went. They did just what the angel told them to do. Next morning, the Sanhedrin came to convene and ordered that the apostles be brought, and the guards went, and they said, they're not there. The jail was locked, but the apostles are not there. And somebody came running and said, look, they're in the, they're in the temple courts preaching again in the name of Jesus. And so they brought them back in. It says they didn't bring them by force because uh, they were scared the people would stone them. They had such a big crowd. But they came willingly to stand before the Sanhedrin. And there they had to face charges. We told you not to speak in the name of Jesus. Remember last week? And they said again, well, we have to obey God rather than humans. And God has told us what to do. And we were witnesses that Jesus was raised from the dead. We come to chapter 5, verse 33, and it says, When they heard this, that is the Sanhedrin, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him, and he was killed, and his followers were dispersed. And it came to nothing. After him, Judas, a Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Well, the text tells us that Gamaliel's uh, speech persuaded the Sanhedrin. What they did was they flogged the apostles, which means they beat them with a leather whip, and they set them free and told them not to speak in Jesus' name anymore. You know, God does desire that we keep the laws of the land, that we listen to the leaders of the land, unless it goes against His commands, His word, His instructions. And then he wants us to follow his way. And these apostles were convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. He was the Son of God, and he had given instructions to preach this good news. And they hold, held on to that. 
and they continue to teach and proclaim the good news of Jesus. They knew the truth, and they trusted Jesus. You see, this theme of truth and trust runs throughout this. And that's what the apostles do. You know, we live in a society that so badly needs the truth. So many people don't know the truth of the gospel. So many people don't know the Bible anymore. We have a responsibility. We too have been called to preach the good news of this new life. And we have a society that needs to be told. They need the truth. And we need to trust that Jesus will be with us if we do it. You know, I generally find people are hungry to know what the Bible says. When I'm around somebody that doesn't know the gospel or doesn't know the Word of God, I generally find they have an interest that if you start talking about it, they will begin to ask questions and, and want to know more. Many people are embarrassed that they don't know a lot about the Scripture. But we need to reach out to the world. We need to bring the truth and we need to trust that Jesus is going to be with us as well. Well, the Sanhedrin tried to stop and listen. The devil's always going to work when you try. So they faced a second issue. They had the issue of pride and greed. They had the issue of jealousy. And not all issues came from outside the church. Let's look in Acts chapter 6 now, verse 1. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. The, Hel uh, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, to seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. So the third issue is complaints about overlooked ministry. Apparently, this early church had a ministry to the widow women in their church where they would take them food uh, on a daily basis and and provide for them. Their husbands were gone. Uh, they needed provision. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, we see that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was ministering at the church in Ephesus, that maybe they had the same kind of ministry there. And Paul says there, don't take the food to widows under age 60. He said they need to be over age 60. need to be elderly widows. Remember, the church, you know, was in a unique time. And apparently the apostles in Jerusalem were, were taking uh, this food themselves to all these widows in the church. Now, in the early church, there were two classes of Jewish people. There were the natural-born Jews, born into Jewish families. They were Hebrew-speaking. By the first century, many of them also spoke Aramaic. In fact, the Hebrew language was almost non-existent by the first century. 
uh, for Jewish people in Judea that were born into Jewish families. Aramaic was their primary language. And then there were Greek-speaking Jews. These perhaps had converted to Judaism before Christianity came along. Uh, many of them might have been born into families that were Greek-speaking, born outside of Judea, but their families had become Jewish, and so they were born to a Jewish family, but they were formerly a, a Gentile family that had converted. And perhaps with the, all the commotion with the church, many people from outside of Judea had moved into Jerusalem hearing of this, this new sect of Judaism, this Christianity, and wanted to be part of it. We don't know what the situation was. There were both of these groups, the Hebrew-speaking, the Greek-speaking, but what we do know is one group was being overlooked. And they brought this to the attention of the leaders, of the apostles. It's a legitimate complaint. And I like what the apostles did. They didn't hide it. They didn't make excuses. What they did was said, you're right, and we need to solve this. And so they said, here's the situation. Let's, let's get some more people involved. We, we, this is taking up too much of our time. We have other duties that we need to take care of. And so they chose seven men. Some say this is the choosing of the first deacons. The text doesn't say that. But they assisted the elders in taking over this ministry that needed to be done. It was a good ministry. Chapters, uh, verses 5 through 7 tell us that that pleased all the people. And so they prayed over these young men, apparently laid hands on them, which is a form of ordaining them into this form of ministry that they were doing. And so they could go on and carry on their duties as leaders of the church, as the apostles. You know, some people... Uh, might not realize all that the Bible tells that a leader in the church is supposed to do, an apostle. I went through the scriptures and picked out all the verses that are targeted toward elders. Give attention to prayer and ministry of the word, Acts 6, 4. Keep watch over or oversee the flock, Acts 20, verse 28, and 1 Peter 5, 2. Be shepherds of the flock. Uh, Acts 20, 28, and 1 Peter 5, 2. Guard the flock, and when it says flock, it's talking about the congregation, the church, Acts 20, 31. Commit to God and His Word, Acts 20, 32. Work hard, Acts 20, 35. Help the weak, Acts 20, 35. Take care of God's church, 1 Timothy 3, 5. Lay hands on or ordain uh, people for ministry, 1 Timothy 4, 14. Direct the affairs of the church, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Preach and teach, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Uh, when he talks about preaching and teaching, you have to be careful about your doctrine, so they have to take care of the doctrine of the church. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, 20 says, Rebuke sinners, uh, encourage others by sound doctrine, Titus 1, 9. Refute those who oppose sound doctrine, Titus 1, 9. Pray with the sick and troubled and anoint them with oil. James 5, 13 and 14. Care for the flock. 1 Peter 5, 3. Be examples to the flock. 
1 Peter 5, 3, does it ever end? Yes, there's, there's an end. Clothe yourselves with humility, 1 Peter 5, 5. Cast all anxiety on him, that's Jesus, 1 Peter 5, 7. And equip God's people for works of service, Ephesians 4, 12. That's a long list of responsibilities that the elders of the church have. And so they need help. They need assistance. They need people. And it's good that we have servants. The word deacon actually means servant in the Greek language. Their ministry in that day, you know, we don't so much need a ministry to take food to widows or elderly people today. People today pretty much have retirement accounts. They have... Uh, they have Social Security they can rely on. We have government programs to provide food. That doesn't mean we don't have a ministry to the elderly, especially the shut-ins. Well, one of the biggest ministries we have is dealing with the loneliness of those people. And that's something that the church should be sure to take on. I plan for our church to do a better job of that. And in fact, I'm working on a couple of things now that that um, hopefully our ministry to our widows or our elderly, especially the shut-ins, will get better this year. We also have a ministry to other, on the other end of the spectrum to children. That's the biggest growing, fastest growing ministry we have in our church. And we want to have a first-class children's ministry. We need help in that area. We need you. So if you could give a, a one Sunday a month or during Sunday school or even during uh, second services when we really need uh, help or maybe on a Wednesday night during school time when our Wednesday night program is going, maybe you could give two or three Wednesdays or Sundays a month or four. But we need help. We need bodies. It's not all leading a class. Some of it's just being an assistant there, checking kids in or checking kids out. The ministry is always going to be happening. A church that's not ministering to people is a dying church. Well, the apostles, they owned their mistake. Yeah, we did it. Let's fix it. They committed to the truth. Again, it's truth. And they trusted Jesus to provide men to take it over. And it happened. Truth and trust. Well, let's move on and look at what happened next. Chapter 6, verse 8. Now, Stephen, that's one of those men that was appointed to deliver food, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So the force it's you is arguments over beliefs in the church. 
It doesn't say what the specific argument was. It says they made up things that Stephen had spoke blasphemously against Moses and against God. It's likely the argument was over his claim that Jesus was the Messiah, the new king of God's people, that people were not saved by going through the ritual of the law, but that they were saved by grace through Jesus Christ, and that people were no longer under the law for salvation. He tells us that they got men to lie about what Stephen said. He was brought before the Sanhedrin to stand trial for charges. Chapter 6, verse 15 says, When he stood before the Sanhedrin, his face shone like an angel. I don't know what that means. Uh, we see little children and we say, hey, He's got the face of an angel. Uh, maybe he was beautiful. Maybe his face lit up as he stood before those men. The high priest asked him, Beginning of chapter 7, are these charges true? And Stephen launches into a message, a defense in chapter 7. The whole chapter is taken up by what Stephen said. He used scripture from the Old Testament. He used Jewish history to point to Jesus as being their Savior. At the end of his message, Stephen made some charges against them. He said, you're stiff-necked, and you resist the Holy Spirit, and you are the ones that are responsible for the death of Jesus. What did he do? He used truth, and he trusted Jesus. Truth and trust. Stephen spoke the truth. So should we, especially in this day and age church today is faced with false doctrine creeping in all around. Arguments over beliefs. We see this. I understand today, I read something the other day, 5,000 congregations have left the Methodist church because of their teaching on homosexuality. It goes against the Word of God. They are actually ordaining practicing homosexuals into the ministry. The Bible speaks against that. The Presbyterians have dealt with the same thing for years. Southern Baptists are in the news. They have issues that they're dealing with. How do you deal with those issues? With truth and trust in Jesus Christ. The church always has to go back to the Scriptures what the scriptures say. Paul wrote some letters. We call them pastoral letters. They were written to two pastors who were out on the field helping churches that had been established, one named Timothy and one named Titus. And the letter, first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 3, I urged you when I sent you to Macedonia to stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Drop down to verse 10, he said, talking about the law and helps us, helps us understand what sin is. In verse 10 it says, For the sexually immoral, those practicing homosexuality, slave traders, liars, 
perjurers, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. He said, don't, don't let this creep into your church. Chapter 4, verse 6. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Preserve them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Second Timothy, chapter 4, verse 3. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from the truth and aside to myths. That prophecy has been fulfilled. It goes on in the book of uh, Titus, chapter 1, verse 9. Talking of elders, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Chapter 2, verse 1 in Titus. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So when these arguments over beliefs arise, we have to hold firmly to the Word of God. We're told to guard our doctrine. Stephen closed out his message, and as he closed his message, the Jews closed their ears Chapter 7, verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Stephen stood firm in the face of these that were coming against him because he had the truth. He was committed to the truth. And he was trusting Jesus. I want you to notice we're introduced to a new character here. His name is Saul. You'll learn more about him next week. But despite his persecution, Stephen stood firm. When they started throwing stones, he didn't say, Oh, wait a minute. It's too hard. I'm gonna, uh, forget about what I said. No, he stood firm, even though it cost his life. And here's our connection. The Jerusalem church leaders met the issues they faced with God's truth and trust in Him. Truth and trust. They trusted Jesus. They were willing to go stand against the leaders. They were willing to go to jail. Stephen was even willing to give his life for what he believed. He died for the gospel. You know, so far in this world, we probably in this country yet won't have to die for our faith. But we do have to stand with the truth before our society and before our peers. Stephen was the first martyr. We're tempted to ask, why did God do that? This man's ministry was thriving. Why did God allow him to die? But you know what happened after his death? It caused the church to expand even more. 
you look at chapter 8, verse 1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. God forced the people out of, out of Jerusalem, where the church had centered, to take this gospel message out to the whole world. The hope of Jesus. And we know about that, don't we? Because we know that hope changes everything. And next week, you're going to see how the gospel changed life after life after life. You know, issues in the church are quite often more than squirrels. Though sometimes we have to deal with squirrels. The early church, they stood strong in their issues. And they always stood on the truth of God's Word. And they always trusted Jesus to be with them, no matter what they faced. Leave here today, I want you to remember. If you don't remember anything else, you go out in this world, take truth of God's Word and trust in Jesus with you as you go. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your truth, for giving us Jesus and for showing us that we can trust Him. That even if we face death, Lord, we have heaven to look forward to. We thank You for men like Stephen and Peter and the other apostles as they stood firm with truth and trust. And they did Your will and Your work, and they did it Your way. And we pray today in the strong name of Jesus that You help us to be those kind of people. Amen.